This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Good morning. Hey, good afternoon. Or it could be good evening. You could be in bed for all I know. It could be late, 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 but you'll catch the show on later on on BaseballOutsideTheBox.com. Our audio will be there. I'm your host, Pete Caliendo. Thanks for joining us in the U.S. and around the world. We really appreciate it. And we are thrilled because we've been in over 100 countries now. We've gotten emails from people and figured out over 100 countries are listening to the show. Thank you very much. This is a show that loves interview baseball's best coaching minds who love the status challenge, the status quo. Um, hey, my name is Pete Caliendo, and I've got a great guest for you today. We're going to tell you about our guest, a former major league pitcher from 73 to 82 with the Royals and the Cardinals. He coached in Australia, played in the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. He's got great experience, got a great book out on the eighth day God made baseball. And the, the uh, forward is by Whitey Herzog. We're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about his career. We're going to talk about what he thinks about pitching nowadays, how it's different. There's so much to talk about we're, together. We were in Cuba at a sports conference. We got a chance to meet there for the very first time, had some great conversations. Um, he's got a tremendous amount of experience. What I love about the guy, he tells it the way it is. He doesn't sugarcoat it. So let's welcome right away our guest, Mark Littell. What's up, Mark? Peter, I'm so glad to be here with you and, and it's so good to see you again. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world and uh, the game of baseball has changed as, it, as we well know. It's actually changed what you do, I know, uh, as, as far yeah. as travel and, and uh, teaching the kids, which uh, I know you like to have your feet on the, on the ground out there between the lines uh, and that's cut into our time. So <laughs> it's, it, it's no fun right now because, uh, you know, we should be on a baseball field somewhere. Absolutely. You know, um, I know we've all had to make adjustments. Hopefully things will change soon. And before we start, folks on Facebook, you're not going to be able to see Mark. Um, we had an issue with YouTube. It was getting some feedback. Not sure why. But so right now you're only going to be here, Mark. But later on, we're going to put uh, the video on YouTube at Peter Caliendo. So do me a favor, go there and just hit the subscribe button. That really helps us out getting the show out. You know, we do about three, four shows a week. We got over a hundred shows there. The audio then goes on baseballoutsidethebox.com, which has been around. We got a lot more shows there, over 210 shows. Um, so check those out also. Um, and I know we've got guests on already. You may know I got a friend of mine, Alan Embry, who pitched in the World Series with the Boston Red Sox. He's on. Bill Eddington, a good friend, known him a long time. There's uh, guys will be, gals will be joining. If you got any questions, type them in the comments section. Well, hey, Mark, a lot of art for sure. <laughs> yeah, there are. <laughs> Mark, listen, let's. Uh, you know, it's interesting because you know you you started off in uh, I believe in the big leagues. You said when you were 20 years old. Talk right. about talk about how you got there because you came from a small town, Cape Girardeau, in Missouri. I'm a little familiar with it because I spent a lot of time in Springfield, Missouri. Um, so I'm a little familiar with the area. Talk about that and how you kind of got to the big leagues. Big, big difference than a lot of players get there nowadays. Well, I was born in Cape Girardeau. I grew up in a little town of Gideon, which is about a thousand people. Well, actually, Cape Girardeau is known for Rush Limbaugh. And uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, the interesting, also the interesting thing is I went to the big leagues when I was 20. Uh, but I did not, and I was at, I ended up being the, uh, the youngest player in the big leagues at the time. I did not go to big league camp and all wow. of a sudden here's this 12th round pick, you know, in, uh, 1971, George Brett and I signed, uh, we played together, room together, you know, we were room together in AAA and, and with Buck Martinez. And, uh, when they called me up, I was nine and one in Omaha and uh, they, they more or less had to call me up. I guess they would have lost me in, in one of the many baseball rules that you got for, you know, getting players, you know, grabbed up. So uh, my, I made my debut uh, July 14th in Baltimore, <coughs> excuse me, and did well. Uh, I think I went like six and a third and gave up one earned run or whatever. Then we came back into Kansas City, though, and they didn't know what to do with me so much. But the, so they put me up in the Mulebach Hotel. And uh, 
we had uh, a series in uh, Cleveland. So I threw my bullpen there and I was going to be the opening day pitcher uh, on, on back home uh, against the Oakland A's, um, <laughs> the mighty Oakland A's. And of yes. course, back then they packed it because Kansas City was trying to win and, and they were winning a little bit. But I actually found out about real baseball at that time when I pitched against the A's. So, <laughs> man, I'll tell you what, what, what was that first time? I mean, here you are 20 years old and all of a sudden you're pitching the big leagues, Major League Stadium. Right. How did you prepare yourself for that? game because you know again a lot of us don't really understand what it means to stand there in front of all these fans under you know at 20 years old all this pressure going on how'd you prepare for that well you know the, the thing that actually got me to the big leagues was a man like his name is dr bill harrison and his name has been spread around baseball quite a bit and bill died passed away five months ago or so and uh you know i've, I've spoken to bill a lot and he's just a wonderful person but he got me on board with the visualization and I took it because uh, I took it seriously. I mean, you're, you're probably going to figure out at some point in this interview that I'm ADD is all hell. And so to harness this, <laughs> to harness this, this big head right out here and George Brett as well, we both took to it because he said, well, that's kind of weird. That sounds kind of interesting. You think that'll get me to the big leagues? Well, well, by George, it did. And all of a sudden, I went into spring training, and <clears throat> I was working out on the double-A field for one day. And Lou Gorman and John Sherold, who was the, the farm, uh, assistant farm director at the time, came up to me, and, and, and Lou said, hey, Mark, you're in shape all the time, aren't you? And I said, yeah, kind of. And uh, he said, uh, well, how would you like to go over, and can you throw, uh, you know, maybe three innings tomorrow? Just bam, like that, three innings out of the bat for triple-A. And I said, well, sure I can. So anyway, I went over there, applied my visualization. I ended up pitching 27 innings in spring training. My last one was a nine inning stint when, and, I, and I gave up no runs in those 27 innings. They had no other choice really, but to, to move me into uh, Omaha AAA. And, and I just, I, I was nine and one by July the 10th. And I, I threw and I got called up and was in Baltimore at that time. But, you know, I applied the visualization. I really, uh, you know, focused and turned myself down. You're in a, a little bit of a zit different zone when you do this. You know, guys like Michael Jordan and, you know, the guys that, uh, you know, are out there, they're constantly in tune. And so they actually get it. It's built in. Mine was not so much built in. So mm -hmm. I had to, you know, to grow this uh, over a little bit of time. And I caught on because I could see the difference. And hey, shout out to, uh, and I agree with you 100%, man. Um, shout out to Bill Harrison. Um, rest in peace, our good friend. And yeah. Ryan Harrison, who's taken over for his dad. Go to slowthegamedown.com. Great stuff there on visualization. Um, we're really an untapped area still. We need to keep, uh, you know, studying that area. And I can tell you, because Bill, you know, it's amazing. He taught, he treated everybody so great. It's just a great yeah. person. Now, I'm going to ask you about visualization in a minute as far as some of the techniques you might have used and you learned. But what, what's interesting is that when you said you met Bill Harrison, that, was that in the Kansas City Royals Academy? Well, that, that's funny because the academy was part of the process. I was in an instructional league and uh, there was probably, you know, about close to 35 of us in a room and there were probably close to around 20 pitchers at the time in that room. Well, we were all together. You know, we were all jabbering in the cafeteria. They had all the things pushed back. And, and it was a very nice place because it was the second year that uh, the, the academy was there uh, on site in Sarasota. So these three guys come in with really nice pants, really nice shirts. And one guy's even got a pipe in his hand. And we're all sitting there going, holy crap, you know, what the hell's going on here? So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyway, actually Bill Harrison comes forward. You know, it was Harrison, Lee and Riley. But... Uh, Bill Harrison comes forward and he basically said at one point, he says, how many of you would like to improve your, he said, concentration. He didn't say focus or anything at the point concentration. And then he brought up that word visualization. Hmm. And I think he might be one of the first, if not the first guy to use that word visualization and coin it. So, you know, that's exactly because, you know, and probably, 28 people raised their hand. There's a few people that didn't raise their hand. A few guys in there didn't raise their hand. You'd think all hands would go up, but they didn't. So, you know, 
we took to it and then, you know, they gradually diminished, 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 diminished. And there's probably leaving with about nine guys that were trying to, to buy into this in a two and a half month period that we were down in Florida, because back then instructional league was a long time. It wasn't like it is, you know, today where it goes 15 days and see you later and, you know, patch on the butt and, you know, hope you eat, I hope you do all your little work and, and stuff like that. And, and, and then we'll see you back in spring training. Oh, we'll probably call you back in January and then we'll ship you back again. Then we'll call you back in spring training. So, wow. you know, they, they, you know, so it's interesting. Um, you know, I want to give a shout out because uh, this gentleman is uh, both our friends. I've known him a long time. Also, John Freitas says hello. Uh, yeah. John, John, big time Texas baseball high school coach. And now in Arizona was with Team U. We were together on Team USA. So he gives a shout out. And our answer to Francesca Carloni, our good friend in Italy. Francesca, we're going to give you the details on how to get Mark's book in a minute. And also we'll put it on our show notes. So don't worry, we'll have it on our notes We'll get it out to you so you can purchase that. I'm sure you can purchase it on Amazon, all over the place. So we'll talk about that too. Before we do, Mark, um, visualization. So what what technique did you use? You, you know, did you you apply that first day? Did you use apply some kind of technique to help you out? Because you have to train first before you can actually apply it, right? Right, you, you do. And actually, it's actually power of suggestion. And, you know, all this is power of suggestion. And, you know, here's the, here's the biggest thing athletes don't do is – you have to have a heart to heart talk with yourself to say, Hey, what? I got to be honest with myself. What can I not do? You know, and, and most athletes don't want to hear that, but if you want to move forward, you've got to be able to say, I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this, but I can do this and this and this. So you, you, you bank on that. And then you look to, to a more positive approach. You look at slowing your body down. I did a lot of exercises blindfolded. You know, I like to do things backwards, you know, rather than forwards on, on the movements because everybody thinks, Oh, you got to do, do this forward all the time. No, 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 no. I mean, from a physical standpoint, you know, cause I was a strength and conditioning guy with Milwaukee for two years. Cause I ended up coaching 18 years professionally, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Padres and then Milwaukee and then uh, <clears throat> the Royals and then Dodgers. It doesn't matter. They're all pretty much the same, a little bit different twist on, on certain things. But, how, how did you figure out, sorry to interrupt, but how did you figure out to go backwards? I mean, did you study it? Did you come up with it through trial and error? How did that come up? Trial and error was, was my point. I like, I like a junkyard gym rather than a, in a straight gym. Because, you know, if you look at the guys nowadays, they go into the gym, they work for their hour, hour and a half. Okay, I'm done. Well, when my dad was sitting there saying, put the plow points on until you get done and you're doing dexterity with your fingers and your, your forearms. And from the elbow down is where everything happens anyway. When you throw a baseball, when you hit a baseball, whatever. So, you know, the fine tune, fine touch. I like to use the word tensile strength because if we have a, t- a certain amount of filling into our, el- our joints, you know, they're going to hold together a little bit better. You see a lot of guys breaking down today and they go, ee, 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 I'm done. Well, mm. we, we didn't get done because dad said, put the plow points on, mobile on, you know, throw the soybean sacks, do this, do this. And so there was, there was a, a certain amount of inner pressure right there with, with, the, with the mind to, to get this done. That's why when you grip somebody's hand and, and shake their hand and, like an old guy like you or me, we, we shake hands pretty well. And, you know, some guys, they might, they might break in, in the long run because you see pitchers that are thrown in the 100 mile, 100 mile range, but you're seeing a lot of breakdown. And you're probably not going to see the longevity. That's another thing that comes to my, my mind. What did you do? What did you do to strengthen yourself? I mean, you heard a lot of times <clears> you know, the guys worked on the farm, they bailed hay, certain things. Were there other, what did you do, in, especially at 20 years old, making the big leagues, to maintain your strength throughout the season also? Well, I was, I was, pretty, I was pretty strong to begin with. And, you know, guys like George Brett, you know, you know George was a surfer. So, you know, he had a, he had a dexterity in a different way. You know, I, I pretty much parked my plow point at the door in Billings, Montana, and George parked his surfboard there. So, <laughs> but what happens is, is when, you have kind of a natural strength. I never really lifted a weight and I never saw a weight until 1978. And that was a Nautilus machine that the Cardinals had gotten and we didn't even know about it. And it was in the next room. Wow. 
It was a, it was a, it was probably a twenty thousand dollar rig at the time, and we were just you know chewing the fat with the trainer. And he said, "Well, we, we just got an auto this thing over there in the in the room. You know, it's a, it's kind of a weight thing." I said, and, and we all went, "Oh, really? No kidding!" So about five or six of us went out of the clubhouse, went around to the right, opened the door, flipped the switch, and then it went like it was like da da da, like came down from God. You know, here was this bright light on this machine, and we said, "What in the hell is this?" And so. You know, that's exactly what happened. But, you know, there's some really good things that actually come out. If you use lightweights, I, I love lightweights. Mm -hmm. You know, if you start using uh, heavyweights, you, you know, you're going to, you know, pretty much go into large groupings. You, you want the dexterity because, you know, you have a lot of kinesthetic awareness, fine-tune, fine-touch in baseball as well as basketball. Football's totally different. Rugby's totally different. You know, they can run through things and, and be stupid. But we have to actually use our brain. So, you know, and it's a fine team fine tune fine touch thing and hitting a baseball hardest thing to do in baseball absolutely in, in, in sport i meant to say in sport right and the, the other thing is it'd be interesting to find out how you prepared for a game now you started as a starter obviously you said six and a third innings but then you went to be a reliever right how did you prepare for a game you know what kind of things did you do because i'm also going to ask you afterwards as a reliever you're going to come back maybe the next day or the next day and you got to recover somehow. So, okay. If you could talk about that, that'd be very interesting. Yeah. The, the recovery part, I'll go backwards with you on this one, but the recovery part was for instance, I threw one time four days in a row. I did three, several. Four. But, wow. Yeah. One, four was on a, and I was actually supposed to be off that day. Why he said to me, why Herzog, my manager in Kansas city, cause I, <clears throat> and St. Louis as well. But, he said, uh, hey, Airhead, because he called me Airhead. He said, uh, <laughs> so we were in Boston, and I, I throw in three innings. I mean, I throw in three times in a row. And he said, hey, Air, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be off today. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. So Boston's bullpen is opposite, you know, the, the, the dugout, because we were on the, you know, and so we went all the way over to the opposite side. And, but you, you couldn't just run through the field. You had to kind of go around. And uh, so anyway, Whitey's called down there. I'm trading uh, balls for dogs, hot dogs, you know, <laughs> with fans that said, hey, you want, a, you want a ball? And I said, yeah. I said, you give me two hot dogs. I want mustard. I want relish. And don't spit on it. And you can have this ball. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, you know, that's my, that's my deal. And I'm, I'm trying to watch a little bit of the ball game while I'm eating the dogs. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Galen Cisco, pitching coach, calls down and he said, Hey, put country on. Yeah, what's going on? He said, hey, can you throw a little bit and see how you feel? And I said, sure. Why not? I ain't got a glove or a cup. He says, well, bad boy's coming around through the stands. And he's going to get get it to you. And so I said, okay. So anyway, I, I take Spike's glove. I start warming up. You know, it comes around. You know, he's going through all these people. And so here comes the, the glove and the, and the cup. I put I turned, I turned back to the field in Boston. I put my cup on in front, you know, everybody. And then, uh, you know, start throwing and, and uh, Galen calls back down again. He said, how? somebody says, hey, country, how close are you? And I said, oh, two or three pitches. He said, you got the next hitter. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> here we go. Did you, did you change the cup? No, I didn't need the cup. No, you know, no line drives, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, the funny thing also was, is that, you know, as far as recovery time, I think, see relievers, a closer to me, he has to throw. You don't want to set him for two or three days. You want him to pitch a little bit, you know, because you're sharper on your second or third day usually, mm. you know, because if you get stale and stagnant, you're, you're, you're actually too strong sometimes. And then, if, but if you look, I was a fastball slider guy. If you look at Trevor Hoffman, he could change speeds. You could actually pitch. So you got throwing and pitching. Throwing and pitching have one thing in common. They have the same amount of letters in both words, and that's where it stops. You know, my grandmother could probably throw, but I don't know about pitching part. You know, <laughs> so I didn't learn how to pitch really until the last three or four years of my career. Hmm. And, you know, I mean, I threw and I, you know, we won stuff. and But when, you know, I, you know, I, threw, I threw the ball by or, hey, I got good shit. I win, you know, sit down. <laughs> you know, you, you hear a lot of, and I, I'm going to stay with this. You hear a lot of that. You hear, you know, I didn't learn how to pitch till like my last three, four years. So what's the advice? Because why wait? 
to do that as a pitcher. Um, I know if you throw now 100 miles an hour, maybe you can get away with it. But why not start to learn that a lot sooner? And how can somebody do that? What's your advice there? Is it possible to speed up the process? It is, but you have to be very honest with yourself about, you know, what you really want to do. And, you know, the people that are in the business nowadays like to see the, uh, the machine light up, you know, that radar gun. They mm -hmm. like to see the thing radar gun. That, that's their uh, that's their litmus test, you might say. And, you know, well, what's his spin rate? Well, we talked about spin, too. We talked about movement. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I threw 93 to 95, and, I'm, you know, I topped out at 98, I think. Somebody said I was against the Dodgers one night. I, said, I could care less did I get them out? That's the mm -hmm. biggest question. You know, I could care less about how hard you throw because you're not going to go out there and be sharp every time. And, you know, you're going to get people out not being sharp and you're going to scratch your head and wonder how, did, how in the hell did I get the, these guys out? The other factor is this, is if you sat there and you throw a bullpen, remember I was a pitching coach and I was a pitcher. And so I know a little bit, maybe just a little, but I'm just saying, if you're throwing a bullpen, there's not a hitter in there. Yeah, I can throw to both sides of the plate kind of a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll miss. But, you know, what's the part about, you know, really throwing to the inner half, outer half? The other factor is, is that if you put the hitter in there, the pitcher's asshole gets, you know, pretty tight right there. So the spinkster, you know, closes mm -hmm. down. And here, so when you put that hitter in there, there's another, another to the whole mess, there's another thing here thrown into the, the equation and to get this done to throw inner half outer half if you look and watch a catcher tonight on the world series where he sets and where that ball actually ends up sometimes you'll say oh wow that ball was on the other side of the plate and the hitter actually swung at it oh you know what he actually struck out and you know me as a pitching coach in the minor leagues i would have my arms crossed and i'd be sitting up there against the pole and my pitcher would come off the mound and i'm kind of snickering i'd say Hey, nice pitch. He'd say, screw you, Lit. <laughs> and, you know, you know, the ball ball was on the other side of the plate and the guy who swung at it, I knew, because I knew where the catcher was setting up. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Watch where the catcher's setting up. You know, people who sit there and think, high school coaches who think, and college coaches who think sometimes that pitchers can do this, BS. You know, step on the mound. You couldn't do it. Maddox was one of the closest that could do it. Catfish Hunter could do it. Glavin could do it, but and you know, but not many others could could actually do that. You know, right. Maddox is one of the few people who could actually throw his changeup for a strike. A strike. You know, not many people can do that. You know, Mark did. Uh, maybe it's for even the younger groups. Could be college, high school, and and uh, travel ball. But do we give too much credit to hitters? Um, you know, because yeah. the pitcher seems to have a huge advantage. Now, yeah. I get it. The big leagues, the hitters are, you know, a lot more um, polished. They got a better idea. They got a plan. But at the younger levels, you know, sometimes you see them picking corners way too much um, yeah. and not going after a hitter. Talk about that. Well, you know, <clears throat> the one thing you can tell, I know I can tell sometimes is, is when I'm watching a young guy uh, and it doesn't have to be such a young guy either, because sometimes the process is slowed down. There, there's a rhythm to a game. A game has a rhythm. It has a beat. And, you know, the pitchers, you, you like to operate and work relatively fast. Uh, I like to work under the 13-second rule, in a sense. Uh, I mean, because you get the ball back, boom, you touch the rubber, you get the sign, and I want that, I don't want that. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Throw the ball, 13 seconds. All right. If you're taking too much time out there, you're going to put the hitter in a comfort zone, for one thing. And the, hit, the hitter is not the brightest guy in the world for, for the most part. Here, they're sitting out there thinking, they're a thinking machine right now. They're like a great, like, you know, what am I going to get, you know? Or what, what's this going to, what's going to happen now? But when you pause and you go out there and you take too much time, the hitter's brain says, I think I'm going to hit, get a hit off this guy, but I don't know why. He's not saying it like that, but he feels way comfortable to where he's relaxed just a little bit more to where he can operate. You know, I know one thing, if I want to throw a, a really, if I want to throw a good fastball, you know, just nice and crisp, I have to relax more. You know, a lot of people, they always say, oh, you know, don't you get pumped up? No, I'm not, I'm not a football player. Mm. You know, you want nice, loose, lengthy muscles. 
You don't want tightness. And that's where the weight programs go AWAR sometimes. Oh, this guy can do this. Yeah, but you know, he breaks and he, he probably lost two or three miles an hour. You shut him backwards. But that's just me talking right there because you, you see certain guys do way too much. And I, I know I skipped right there, but you know, you're putting this with this six inches up into here, this brain, and then this is not working because it's, it's too tight. It's not, it's not relaxed. So the hitter that relaxes, you ever look at George Brett hit? <laughs> He's like rid ridiculously relaxed. George is the loosest guy on the field. If, if you ask a player in that era who the, who the loosest guy on a baseball field from other teams, and they would sit there and they'd say, oh, George Brett. No. He, hmm. well, so, I mean, yeah, dumb as dirt. Let's play baseball, you know? You know and, and, he, and he was part of also Mr. Harrison's visualization process. Yep. Uh, yep. So I'm sure that had something to do with it. <clears throat> well, you know, a lot of people, they sit there and they say, I've, I've talked about visualization and you get college coaches out there sometimes and they'll say, oh, I know all about that. I said, no shit, huh? You've really gone between the lines and actually done this and actually can and explain it in depth. I don't think so. I don't think so. Because to take it between the lines, you have to have major cojones. <laughs> you really do. Yeah, and that, that takes, I mean, that takes some time too, some experience. Um, yeah, you, yeah. you had some experience, obviously, you're in Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. Um, that, had, that, that had to help some too, pitching in those areas, no? Loved it. You know, uh, you found out what you could and could not do. You know, you're in a different environment. I'm really, I really like the Latino players a lot because when they come over here, they're actually very scared. They put on the front of the smile and stuff. But, you know, they're actually scared inside. One, they're seeing so much better food. They're seeing a better environment. You know, they want to get off that island and they want to stay off that island. You know, I mean, the same thing when I went down to Panama and speak and down there in Dominican, Puerto Rico, we were, you and I were in Cuba. We saw what that was about. And uh, we were in a really nice environment in Cuba, even though if you step outside of Havana and see, hmm, different areas of Cuba, you scratch your head. Yeah, I don't, we don't scratch our head because we've seen this. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it is the way it is. So. What did you take from your time in those areas when you pitched there? Any learning experience from, I know the fields, the fields I'm sure are pretty, were pretty decent, um, but as far as hitters, as far as pitching, how they pitched, anything you, you picked up from them? Well, you know, <clears throat> the Latinos with the native, you know, you, back then we had four that could occupy the field, even though they carried six Americans at that time, the year I was there. That was 1973. Mm. Uh, Clemente went down with his plane in 72 in the bay right there in Puerto Rico. I played for uh, Arecibo Wolves, and uh, that was probably an hour and 20, 30 minutes west of uh, San Juan. And uh, it was just, a, it was a small town. And I really enjoyed that because I like to, to uh, I like to be with the native people, you know, and I like to eat with them. I don't like to eat the American plan. I don't like to do the American plan so much. I like to see what is going on here. You know, same thing, even if I'm in Australia, I, I was, I, I hunted with the Aborigines even because I was over there for a time and I enjoyed that thoroughly. So mm -hmm. the whole thing is about learning experience from the baseball is your, your question, Peter, was did I learn anything? Yeah, I learned that I don't have to go out and throw every pitch as hard, you know, or work as hard. You know, sometimes people, they say, well, I, I've worked hard at this. I say, well, you're stupid. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, you know, if you, if you ever heard of less is more, I said, you got to work smart. Mm. I mean, I can get my work done. And just because I do extra work doesn't mean I'm going to get people out. So I have to be smart about this. And I have to understand myself and be in tune with what I can do today and not, and not live on my laurels in the past of yesterday, but what am I going to do today? It's kind of like in business. What have you done for me today? <laughs> so you go out there and you get the job done, you know, and you say, okay, this buds for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, and, and now, 
the time you pitched, every day you're done pitching, you know, maybe you didn't have a routine. Maybe it was just relax, take it easy. But I was, I'm curious to see if you had any kind of routine, anything you did be prior to the next day. I know the next day comes fast, but was there anything, you know, <coughs> I'll give you an example. I watched um, uh, Kershaw, you know, on television the other day and, that, and, and actually somebody videotaped it, you know, and he was doing some extra work on his own. Nobody was around. Right. Um, we tell players all the time, what are you doing on your own when nobody's looking? You know, it's easy to work when everybody's watching you. Well, um, but you know, what did you do? What did you work on? Maybe even some advice for players nowadays. Well, the, way, the biggest thing to, to me is, is I, I, I really like to stretch, you know, rather than, you know, during the season, you're at 162. If you're getting 60 games and 100 plus innings, I did that three times. There's only 40 of us that have did that. I didn't know that till about eight or 10 months ago. So, uh, so I guess I was stupid for taking the ball too much. So, anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, hey, I, hey, just so, just so you know, just to give you an idea, Denny McLean's coming on a show, I believe, Monday. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of days. 68 it was like 330 some innings and 28 complete games yep incredible i know lolich was the same way as his buddy you know he got in 300 plus innings as well you know you got two guys on the same team of the same era that that, that pretty much you know did the damage over there for for uh, detroit and you talk about the 68 you know world series against the cardinals and to get back if you look at gibson for instance he never put ice on his arm he always put hot water on his arm he would go into the shower and just let that thing just hit it, you know, because you're the blood flow, you know? Yeah. Interesting because a lot of research is out on ice nowadays. What it actually does, it actually can slow down recovery. Um, there's a lot of science behind this, but a lot of discussion about it. So it's interesting how Gibson was using hot water. Right. Well, I mean, I didn't use ice until my arm was sore and I went through two arm surgeries and I also bounced back from two arm surgeries. Wow. And, you know, I came back at 90 both times. I mean, the, the second one just, kind of pulled me down though because just too much damage into the bone but uh elbow so but you're sitting there doing the ice because you know you've got inflammation and swelling that but if you've got you know ice everybody says well i gotta go ice my arm i gotta take advil worst damn thing you could ever do i mean kids got on an advil trip forever and they'd take six and seven advils before they'd pitch in high school i've seen it i wow. not believe it you know wow. i'm listening and I mean, I'm listening. I said, why do you take a handbill? Why do you take this crap? I said, you don't need it. You want to be able to feel your, you want to be able to feel yourself, you know, and then because you're going to end up hurting yourself more if you don't touch and feel what, you know, any, any pain, I mean, real pain that's going to happen. Hey, Mark, what do you think, you know, because we've talked a lot about, you know, professional baseball, your career and how you did certain things, you know, the mental training, the visualization, Okay, let's go. Let's go to our young players and coaches and parents that are working with our young players. And they could be young kids, twelve years old, could be high school. Um, what's advice there? When if I'm going to develop a pitcher, right. where do I start? Um, and I realize every player's in, you know, every body and every person's individual. Um, but where do I start? I think you have to have a well, obviously a plan. But yeah, and each individual is different than the other. You can't go out there and generalize that somebody's going to throw I don't like to go too much over 100 feet you know it's not required you know people will sit out there and, and they play long toss and they rip their arms out and they're at a different angle and uh, I know some of the best in the business uh, Maddox they didn't play long toss that much mm. I mean but I know Jim Cott for instance he pitched 26 years in the big leagues I asked I was asking Kitty Cat because I played with him for two years in St. Louis I said what's the secret to your longevity? And he said, well, I always put a, a shirt on, a long sleeve baseball shirt on when I go to sleep, I turn the air, air conditioning down and I throw every day. And now the throwing every day doesn't mean you're gonna go out and ball bust anybody. If you just threw nine innings, he said, I'm gonna go out and throw maybe eight or 10 throws and say, yeah, the arm still works. And then I you know, get the blood flow going again. He got to the point where he was older and his knees were giving out. So he used the bike because he couldn't run anymore. And you were on turf as well. Hmm. But <clears throat> as far as <clears throat> throwing routine, you can have your pitchers lined up and, and some, and you've already talked to your pitchers about this, what they can and cannot do today. If you're going to throw 10 minutes, 
but just because somebody throws 10, 10 minutes, one person might throw six throws in 10 minutes. The other person might throw four throws in 10 minutes. So there's a difference right there, you mm. know, uh, as far. And then the intensity, that's another word. You'll see some people go intensity level high where they're throwing hard. And I said, don't try to impress me. I could give a shit, you know, do it between the lines, you know. So I said, you're working on and understanding yourself and what is happening to your arm today to make it work tonight if you get into the game or tomorrow or the next day or whatever. So you're trying to understand more about yourself. So you're starting out at, you know, 50 feet, you know, close and you're, you know, you're coming up, you know, I actually like to throw, uh, have them throw six change-ups, right, right off the bat, you know, because People say, well, he's not working on his changeup. Well, here, throw six off the bat. You know, your arm's not working fast at that point anyway. Mm. And you're, so, you know, just, you know, get the field. And then once they step back to the 60 foot mark and, you know, through about eight or eight or nine throws, you know, okay, you know, move back. You're telling them, okay, let's, let's, let's make a move, guys. So they move back to 60, they move back to 75, they move back to 90, and we throw three throws at 100 maybe. And, you know, you, know, you throw it on a soft, a soft line. You don't throw it on a hard line or, or an ante over, you know, you're just, you're just trying to make it work. Now the guy that threw the diet before, I understand him totally. You don't have to throw you're, you're on your own program today, but you're going to throw some, I don't care if you throw eight throws, but you're going to throw eight throws today, you know, just, yeah. just to get him going his mindset, because you have to have that mindset of this being able to work. And you get kids nowadays that say, well, I'm going to take off because my arm's a little sore. Worst thing you could ever do. Worst thing you could ever do. At least play some catch. At least play some catch. You know, make this work. You know, make it work. It doesn't have to work as fast or intense or the, or the intensity doesn't have to be as fast. I like to do this. I, uh, if I have somebody down there and they want to throw blind, I get them down at the end and say, hey, can I throw blind with, you know, the partners are? I said, yeah, I hope you got four or five balls. I said, yeah, that's so they won't hit anybody else. Sure. <laughs> so you're still trying to hit everybody in the chest. But again, when you're throwing blind or your eyes closed, you're, you're, yeah. you have to, you have to, your body has to work rather exactly. than, than your eyes. Exactly. You, you have to feel it. And, you know, it's the same thing when you do a blind drill hitting off of a tee, you know, you know, can, can you shut your eyes and hit and, and repeat, you know, or do you top it? Do you went under it? You know, it, it's actually a fun, a fun exercise to do. You know, it's Very interesting. It's interesting. And uh, you, you mentioned Jim Cott because uh, about, about a year ago, I was watching MLB Network and Jim Cott was on. I really liked listening to him. And he, he mentioned, you know, and I say the old days because that's what he said, you know, when he played and when he practiced. Yep. When he was a young kid, he actually was talking about. They never pitched off a mound when he was a young kid because they didn't have any mounds. Right. Um, he really believes, and there's some research behind this, that because of that, his arm lasted longer because there was less wear and tear on his arm because of the downhill slide. Right. Um, I thought that was interesting. He brought that up. Um, and, and you can you can comment on it if you got any comments on it. If not, I want to ask you another question. Um, yeah. Well, it's like an aborigine throwing a, throwing, a, throwing, a, throwing a spear out there, you know? He's throwing from flat ground. And right. You give him, you give him a, a hill to throw off. He said, "I'm not going to eat today." So right. I missed. <laughs> and, and, and speaking of that, that now you've got to eventually throw to a catcher, okay? Right. So, um, and you're not, you don't have any hitters yet, like you said. Right. What's yep. your What's your advice there, especially on the visualization part, um, on training and what you did in games? Where 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 should you be looking? And is everybody different on that? That's a very good point. Because I, I wrote a, in, in this next book I got coming out, uh, it's called What's Up Ramrod with a question mark because it's about the coaching aspect. It's fun, it's fun stuff. My stuff's fun. It's not a how to tell, but it, you get the point by the way I say it. But on spatial awareness, when you walk into a ballpark or a guy walks into a business room, he has to have a certain feel of feeling these things out pretty quick. There's certain ballparks that you're gonna pitch in better because of the smell, the sight, you know, the lines, the grass, the feel. Hey, I love pitching in Dodger Stadium, but I sure the hell don't like pitching in Cleveland. 
So I got to turn Cleveland into Dodger Stadium really quick. Mm. <laughs> so that's the spatial awareness thing. So you're sitting out there. Is the mound the same they are today? When I first started at 20 years old, I only saw that mound in Cleveland. That was an 18-inch mound. I never saw a mound that high in my life. Next year, it was 15. Two years later, it was 12. Three years later, it was 10. So I caught all four you know, of, of the heights. And I thought it was very interesting. But <clears throat> the process of trying to uh, look at a lot of pitchers, and I saw this when I coached, and my pitchers would end up high in San Jose, California with the Giants in the California League. Well, the reason I, I looked at it, I said the backstop was so far back that they were picking up this, and they thought it was further to throw the baseball. Wow. So – I said to him, I uh, when we went back that night, I, I got one of the reels from the uh, grounds crew, crew, took it back over to San Jose. Right when we had batting practice, I got time with my manager. I said, I need, I need two minutes. All you pitchers out on the mound. And <clears throat> so they measure, we measured it. And I said, what's that say? It's says 60 feet, six inches to the front to the tip into the point. I said, good. You all know that what you're doing, you're picking up the backside right there. And that's why you're ending up high and you're not making it through the first or the second inning. You're not focused on the mid. You're focused on, you know, way back here. So I said, calm this down, make the eyes work there here versus back here. Now, it's the same thing if you have Visalia, California, and the backstop is very close. So they want to throw all fastballs because they're sitting there going, wow, look, listen to the pop of that. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're not pitching now. They're throwing hard. And you know what? Pitchers love, hitters love fastballs that are straight. So they don't last there either. So I said, you have to get in tune with yourself as far as, you know, soft centering, hard centering. I like to soft center around the area because if you look at one object too long, your eyes become tired. And when I say long, that might be three seconds, four seconds. So we, um, you might look away and then look back in and go. It's like, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, you know lay, laying something down now, I got it. Because this brain works so fast. It works, say 50,000 times faster than this, this, the muscle the structure here. So you're trying to send that message, it's already sent it. So if I've already thrown the pitch mentally, bam, I'll, I'll, okay, now I go and I start. If you take too long also, here's something, I'm just thinking about this. I noticed uh, my uh, pitchers at young ages, uh, rookies sometimes, they would sit there and they would take a little bit longer when they threw a changeup. In other words, they were talking themselves out of throwing a changeup. Wow. They threw the catcher throw the changeup side down. They go, oh shit, that's my third best pitch. Shit, and then I said to change up. So you mean I knew? I said if you see the changeup sign, go immediately, just like you would on the fastball. Yeah, and that, you know that makes me wonder when you say that because uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Bill Sue Campbell, good friend of ours, pitched with yeah. the Cardinals reliever, lives here in Chicago. We've done a lot of work together, and I remember yeah. Bill saying. What you know, because I'd asked him some questions, and Bill mentioned when he was pitching, he, he was look, he was trying to throw through the catcher. Yeah, right? his way of you know preparing for for the next pitch. But the question's this, and I think it's interesting. You said third pitch, you know, third pitch, and not real confident in it. I never understood this because I didn't pitch; I just pitched for fun. Mm. Okay, you've got your best pitch, you got your second and your third. Why are you working it extra hard to make your third pitch better? So that well, way it's more equal. You know, actually, when you're working on your third pitch, you should, you should, you should think about the positive side of turning that into your best pitch. Yeah. You know, the way you think and talk. Yeah. So that's I like why that. I, I had them throw the six changeups right off the bat. By the way, Bill Campbell was my coordinator uh, with Milwaukee's great guy. Yes, yes, yes. Super guy. And uh, very, very knowledgeable. But, uh, you know, and it's fun when, you know, you have the pitching, you know, coaches in there. And when we're all telling these things like you and I were sitting here talking about, we're, you know, we're getting down to business. And, you know, the relaxation part and 
there's just times that you're not, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you heard some of the stories back then about, you know, pitchers like, you know, like, like Tug McGraw, you know, he's passed out on the floor and in a rookie kicked him and he, I mean, he, he had to step over him. He said, God, I think he's dead. You know, <laughs> well, the guy just came up from double A at the end. He was, he was a call up and, and, and the, and the old guy said, no, nah, he's, he's, he's fine. Well, the, it, the kid walks into the training room. He says, I think something's wrong with Tug out there, you know? <laughs> and he said, well, he had, you know, he said, no, no, no. And, and the guy said, he'll be ready by game time. And he was. <laughs> leave him alone <laughs> so you know he's going to miss batting practice but you know leave him alone <laughs> i'll throw this at you uh, you know the show's baseball outside the box so i'm always trying to think a little different right or wrong you know but always trying to learn something you hear this um look the game's traditional so guy gets warmed up in a bullpen right now at the major league level the bullpen and the mound on the on the field you would think are identical because they got professional people doing that. Do we really need eight warmups to throw or is that just tradition? I know when I came into a game as far back as I did, I would throw maybe five because I wanted, I wanted the hitter to be offset. I'm mm -hmm. ready. Let's go. The umpire would say he's ready. He said, what? Yeah. You <laughs> throw weight. He's seen you a little bit better. Exactly. I didn't want him to see me. You know, exactly. if, I, if it's a hot day and I'm loose, I mean, why do I need another three pitches? Yeah. You know, um, why, why? I mean, I don't, I don't need to throw, I don't need to tax my arm. Yeah. Why waste that time also? Um, yeah. I would think that's, again, that's food for thought for everybody, for our coaches. And, and I know young kids are, they're, you know, they got, you got to make sure they're ready because you don't want young kids getting hurt. I was talking about major league players. Now we got about 15 minutes left. So, you know, Mark, um, this has been awesome. And I want to get into the book. Um, but, but I also, also want to ask you uh, before we get into that, you roomed with George Brett. I didn't oh. want to bring it up earlier, but it'd be interesting to know um, what you felt made George Brett who George Brett was and why he became a Hall of Famer. Was there any special things that he worked on that was different than other players? Obviously, he had the tools, I would assume, but what about anything else you saw in him spending time with him? You know, uh, <clears throat> George was uh, persistent. Uh, he, he didn't overdo it at the hitting pro the process of hitting. Uh, Charlie Lau got him on track, uh, and he stayed on track. Uh, I, I remember one time, because George and I roomed together, you know, we'd go to the ballpark early, and I'd be out there early batting practice because, you know, I wanted to see it. And it was just George and Charlie and and maybe a couple guys shagging balls that weren't even ball players. And I'd just be on the cage and just listening in. And uh, I remember one day Charlie was already on the mound, and he meant to do this. Charlie didn't say much. But, you know, he, he had his cigarette out there on the mound. He's smoking and George was all ready to go. And I was right behind him. And, and, George, and Charlie said, we're not going to hit today. Mm. And he said, what do you mean we're not going to hit? It says, we're not going to hit today. So he walked off and walked into the uh, uh, dugout up the runway into the clubhouse. George was in a little bit of a slump at that time. And so he said, because you don't need to hit all the time because you, if you do too much, you're going to, you can go backwards very fast. I mean, that's the same, like, Oh, you have to throw this amount of pitches. No, you don't. No, you don't. You know, I can visually set my, my tone because, you know, I had Claude Osteen ask me one time, he said, you can throw right out of bed, right out, out of the winter. Can't you? And I said, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, because, you know, I, I always tried to make movements and stuff like that. But because, you know, you're sitting there and I'm in tune with this, I'm in tune. And when you're not in tune, that's when you're going to get hurt. Hmm. That's when you're going to get injured. That's when you're not going to be able to focus, right? That's, not, that's when you fall by the wayside and somebody takes your, takes your place. You know, I got to laugh sometimes. Uh, I'm sure you do too. I get a kick out of it. I'm not trying to criticize anybody. It just happens to be the facts. You know, it, you know Charlie Lau, great example. Let's not hit today, right? Uh -huh. um, now all of a sudden it's a new thing, you know, because you know, some teams aren't taking it. Like Joe Mann's great. You know, he, he decides, Hey, we're not hitting today. We're going to take it easy. I don't want you in until four o'clock instead of coming. I remember coming, even in a pennant ball, we show up at one o'clock for a seven o'clock game. And I'm wondering to myself, what am I doing here for six hours? Um, and, and then we're going to hit and then go back in and sit down and play cards and drink some coffee. Right. We're going to wait for a while. And what, what, what did that just do for my hitting? Um, and I'm wondering, 
but yet we want to think, you know, it's all new stuff. There were a lot of things you guys were doing back then that guys are doing now. They just call it a new name. Yeah, I was in uh, Cal League for six years, and <clears throat> I remember uh, I was throwing batting practice behind the uh, the wall one day, and the wall was 10 feet high. And, you know, the other team's clubhouse was it was pretty much nearby, but I got hot out there. One of the guys, I walked through the door and they said, hey, country, can you throw can you throw batting practice for us today? There's about four of us wanted to take extra batting practice before we went out for real batting practice. And I said, yeah, give me, give me a second. So I went out there and I got my shirt on and I didn't put any socks on, which I don't like socks sometimes. And I just put ten, my, my tennis on and, and a shirt. And so I get loose and I'm throwing, I'm throwing, I'm throwing. And all of a sudden I said, God, it's hotter than shit here. You know, cause it was closed. It was AstroTurf in the back and all these high walls. And I just take, I just take all my clothes off and start throwing bat and practice naked. So anyway, they're sitting there going, they didn't know how to do it. I said, we need a pickup. And so nobody picked up behind the, the L screen though. I said, well, shit, we need a pickup. What the hell? So they get back in there and I said, well, somebody get in there. I came out here to throw batting practice and nobody wants to get in. Whoa. Oh, I'm sorry. Does this scare you? <laughs> so, <laughs> No different than being in the shower. What's the difference? Yeah, that's in my so, next that story's in my next book anyway. But you but you but your great point in some point here. I'm thinking when you said that, I do love when pitchers throw BP to me. I'd rather have a pitcher throwing batting practice to me in some ways than have a coach throwing it. Um, but but I get it. Sometimes you got it a little comfortable and easy, you know, 50 mile an hour fastball. But eventually yep. I, I like the part you said, you know, this is a little bit more like a game situation because now I got a real pitcher thrown to you. He may not be throwing 90, 93. But he right. also got thrown 50. Hey, right. I don't want to forget this because we're, we don't have much time. But now I got to ask you, and I thank you for sending me the book. Um, but on the eighth day, God made baseball. Okay. Right. First of all, uh, and Whitey Herzog did the forward. Um, how, how'd you come up with that name and why? Well, uh, I, I just felt at the time that uh, I have a little of, uh, interest in a, a higher being you know, at the time. And uh, so I said, well, I can apply this to baseball. And I said made rather than, uh, you know, uh, uh, other words, uh, created. Yeah. So I didn't want the word create. Actually, there is a book with the word create out there. And uh, so man makes baseball, God does not. Mm. And so I, that's that's from my heart, actually. Interesting. I mean, I, 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 I cuss too much. I cuss too much, but I still have... <laughs> a big feeling above here That's absolutely absolutely i'm with you on that uh show everybody the book because uh, we're on yeah. facebook yeah. um i know there's people wondering and i know they can get it on amazon we'll have it on the show notes where else can they get it do you have a website or yeah <clears throat> you can go to amazon or you can go to mark latell if you can spell it uh <laughs> dot com <clears throat> so it's We'll put that, that marklatell.com. We'll put that on the show notes. We'll put it all over social media once we get the show out. Yeah. Um, tell everybody, so what, what is the book? Who, who's the book for and what does it entail? Actually, it starts with my first at bat when my dad took me in when I was six years old and I never went to see, I'd seen a baseball field, but I had been swinging a bat and throwing a baseball. My dad could not play catch with me because he was shot all to hell in Korea. Mm. So he wow. had a... a, 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 a something on his arm he had a, a brace on his arm and so he couldn't play with he said he said to my mom he said Jeannie I can't play with Mark you know and my brother ended up catching me he played Mississippi State he got drafted twice as a catcher so we wow. were we're in 16 days apart we could tear on parts apart <laughs> they don't call it strike zone right <laughs> see <laughs> anyway <laughs> it works <laughs> but um no, it's a fun read because it's it, it it's fun stories. It's not any statistics except my last chapter is four scum statistics, and they are outlandish st statistics that I just happen to be in. Like I gave up Pete Rose's National League breaking hit. Okay, so what? Well, when Lou Brock got his three thousand hit, I ended up picking up the win. I met Lou when I was eleven. I was twenty fourteen years later at twenty five. I ended up picking the win up when we were playing the Cubs in St. Louis of all teams, the Cubs, a packed stadium. And I, and Country Boy gets the win, but Lou gets his uh, 3,000. And wow. Ken Reed's got his 1,000th hit that night and the very first time that Tommy Herr made his very first start. 
So four things happened that night. I, I, I speak about stats. I mean, you've got some great stats. People can go check it out on Wikipedia. You got, you did a great job, obviously. And just to be in the big leagues is incredible. Um, but I know they wrote on there about Chambliss's home run also. But didn't you have a, a hundred, a, a hundred innings? I think, or didn't I? Can't remember the exact stat. Uh, <clears> yeah, I, I had a lot of stuff. giving up a home run in like a hundred innings. Yeah, I, I gave up. Yeah, that's right. I didn't give up a home run. Yeah, matter of fact, I talk about knocking an umpire out in AAA here. That was, and actually, it was a setup, and I didn't even know it. Knocked the umpire out. Really? Yeah, and I knocked an older lady out. I say I usually say old lady, but I knocked this older lady out in Cleveland when they had sixty thousand there one night when they're giving away those cars, and I had a ball get away from me. It was like a Scud missile. You know, flying through the stands, and Whitey, Whitey said, "What in the hell's going on over there?" Because these people were wanting to come down in that 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 pit right there and find out who knocked this old lady. I didn't know an old lady got knocked out. I knew wow. the, ball got, the ball got away from me, and I knew it got loose. But Whitey said, "Well, hell, best place for you is in the middle of the diamond pitch." And <laughs> you know, I was listening to John Schmoltz on the on the broadcast. He was talking about he did not like, and here's a Hall of Famer. He did not like the bullpens on the field because he was always worried about throwing the ball away. Um, and that, maybe that's a good thing, right? Because now you're concentrating more. Maybe it could be a bad thing on the flip side. <clears throat> well, I felt that there was no way, there was no way you were going to throw a ball out of this bullpen. I guess I had a, found a way, but it went, wow, right out of my hand. And it went, boom, and launched. Let's get your thought on this. Uh, being a relief pitcher, what's your thought nowadays on the three batter rule that they implemented? I don't know. You keep making up rules. You keep changing things. Uh, I really don't like the three batter rule. You know, I mean, would but, you, you have know, liked it? I mean, as a pitcher, were you brought in for certain hitters or did you have to pitch to more? You know, you know why he did that? Because he, he was the first guy to make those changes and he's, he had actually set a record on that. Uh, but, you know, it, it's OK, because at the end of the game, you know, you can sit there and look at you might want to in a close game, you know, switch your pitchers but you know the thing is it takes so long it cuts it does take time but you know what takes time also is when they uh, review a play that takes at least three minutes absolutely and here and here's what i brought up in last show it's just something food for thought you know i'm watching game two of the world series i think it was uh can't be yeah game two first four innings they use four pitchers well that's four pitching changes in four innings uh yeah. that's quite a few pitching changes also so there's you know, and I think the way I look at it, I don't like it simply from the fact that why change a strategy issue to make the game faster? Change something else, but that strategy, and, that, and this is why I'm getting to this, because I want to ask you, is it necessarily always a right-handed pitcher against a right-handed hitter, left-handed pitcher against a left-handed hitter, or does it more have to do with what that pitcher throws? Well, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of left-handers that can really get right-handers out because they throw that soft sinker in there and mm -hmm. they turn it over. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and, and they have a they have a trait of doing that. You know, uh, I think you might see actually to add to what you were talking about is bullpen, uh, a starting staff of bullpen by committee down the line, you know, to where you have four pitchers where one goes three, two, two, and one, you know. And, and you're seeing it now. You're yeah, you're seeing it now. It now. I don't, you know, we're, I don't have a problem with that, but, you know, I, I got a feeling that that's not going to be easy to manage in a 160, you know, two game schedule. Well, you know what, they keep, they, they keep this 60 man thing or this 40 man or this 35 man thing up and they keep reaching in to get those minor leaguers. So now you've got a, a, almost a 4A team in there sometimes, you know, so you, right. and then you could pick it back up. You know, but maybe one of those uh, minor leaguers, you know, might have visualized right, and he can stay. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what's your advice? Finally, uh, last couple of questions. What's your advice on, um, you know, relief pitchers uh, nowadays? Any, any, anything you see out there that you're looking at relief pitchers? You know, um, I'm just, you know, I'm a fan. I'm looking at games. I'm thinking to myself. Sometimes I'm wondering why guys are nitpicking on corners so much, um, <laughs> and and the Rays got away with it. If you looked at game two. I mean, uh, Snell, I think he had nine strikeouts, but he also had five walks. Right. Um, and and you, he got away with them. I'm wondering why are we always picking? A guy throws 97 from the left side. Why don't we challenge guys more? Again, I'm a novice when it comes to pitching. That's just my thought. 
yeah, the other guy that threw uh, opened up for Tampa, he ended up throwing 110 and he didn't get through five innings. At glass now. Glass, yeah, he, he and uh, he struggled. You could see from the first batter on where he walked that first hitter that he was around the plate and not through the plate and not operating, you know, to put the ball in play. If you're going to put the ball in play, put the ball in play on your terms immediately. If you want to swing at the first pitch here, it's got some movement. It's got some sink. It's got whatever, you know, but pitch, you know, so it tells me you're running a little bit scared. Mm. <clears throat> and, you know, so they're afraid of contact. They say, oh, he's got the, 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 the launch angle upward swing thing. Oh, my God. Well, so what? We'll offset the bat and the time. Did you guys did you guys look at situations? And obviously not because, you know, when Denny McClain pitched, you know, 28 complete games, um, how come in those days they weren't worried about three, you know, a pitcher facing the lineup the third time around as they do now, but they do have statistics behind it because when you look at, I think it was Snell again, at a certain point in, you know, they're looking at a different batting average, you know, like 200 and all of a sudden you hit the, you know, the three in the lineup and it's all of a sudden they're hitting 300 off of them. Right. You guys, did you guys look at anything like that? Maybe a little bit, you know, third time around, we, 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 we knew it, but the, you know, the scoreboard tells you how to pitch and play a ball game. So you're sitting there going, you know, okay, I've got a five to one lead. I'm in the eighth inning. The pitching coach knows it. the manager knows it. The pitching coach knows now if, if you're starting to break down at 85 pitches, you know, has he broken yet? Has he broken yet? In other words, has his backside leg broken a couple inches where he's now throwing slightly flat, you know? So he's lost. He's lost his legs. If he's lost his legs, he lost his core. So the mm. core is the strongest part of the body. Everybody, the trick question is, I'll say to the young guys, I'll say, hey, what's the strongest part of your body? They always say leg. I said, no, it's core. If, if your legs have gone, your core's gone already. Your core is gone. So, you you know, work, work your core. So, I love you brought that up, and I'll tell you why. Because a lot of coaches working with young players, you know, um, one of the hardest things to determine, and it's not easy for anybody, is when a pitcher is running out of gas. Now, obviously, he just threw 10 balls in a row. Those are the obvious ones. I'm talking about, you know, watching a pitcher closely, a young kid especially, how many pitches did he throw in that inning, you know, um, determined on body size or whatever it is. How do you know when to pull him out? That's not easy. What, what's your advice there? And we'll close it off with one more thing after that. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can sit out there and, you know, watch the command of the pitch. You know, I, I know I can see the command. If he's lost command, maybe even on a breaking ball, you know, maybe on uh, and he's not locating his fastball as well. He's not as crisp. I, I look at that backside, and if he started to drop just a fraction, you know, he, he, start, he started to lose it. Now he starts to labor. Hmm. You might not think he's laboring, but he is actually laboring. And he, he might not feel that, but – he, he actually does know it. You know, he actually, deep down, he does know he's laboring at that point. All right, F finish it off with the first time ever on Baseball Outside the Box. Um, we are going to close it off with a product. Um, I want everybody to show the cup. What do you call it, and how do you get it? Oh. <clears throat> and, well, no, it's not, a, it's not a mask, folks. You're not using this for the coronavirus. Well, this is uh, this is the Nutty Buddy. This is the real deal, folks. I've won five awards on this sucker right here, and you know, and I'm an idiot, but I happen to get this right. It's anatomically correct, and you know, it does look different. Obviously, this is called this one's called the Flex, and uh, I take shots at 90 miles an hour in these things. I stand behind my product, literally. The other factor is this: <clears throat> I have five sizes. I have hammer boss hog trophy and this is mongo of course so and i'm a mongo guy by the way but anyway you know it fits it works perfectly i've had kids fall asleep with it on uh after and playing i guess playing their xbox anyway after the games and uh so that's a very good testimonial and it's just not meant for baseball it's like anybody that's got a pair including you granddads out there who get kicked in the nuts by little johnny so surprise him for Christmas and wear this in there and let him have a broken toe. And folks, I told you it was going to be a first and, and not just a first, but hey, take it serious because I, you know, I remember my first time at Mickey on baseball school, a coach told me, said, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to read the sporting news, wear a cup. I mean, he, 
It meant, and what he meant by it was wear it all the time. Take it serious. I've had some young kids, um, it seems some major injuries. Um, we're not going to talk about them, but very serious injuries because they didn't wear it. Didn't matter what position. Um, and I could tell you this, that type of cup, because I've worn a similar type, but not quite as good as that one. It's much, it feels better and it's easier to get accustomed to. So get it. Um, Mark, uh, and I, we'll put it on the website, you know, again, Nutty Buddy, but is that a different we, uh, website that he have for that? Or uh, yeah, just go to nuttybuddy.com. Perfect. Simple and easy. Hey, Mark, love it, man. Should have had you on sooner. I knew it was going to be great when I mentioned Cuba because you got a great sense of humor. You got great stories, but you got great information also. Thanks for being on, buddy. Enjoy it. Thanks so much, Peter. All right, folks, that's Mark Littell. I'm Pete Caliendo. Special thanks to Mark. Special thanks to our producer, Brian Crock with the Lineup Media Group. And don't forget, do us a favor. Please just go to YouTube at Peter Caliendo. Hit the big red button, subscribe, and then share the show with everybody that you know that would really help us get the show out. Remember, over 100 countries watching it, and we really appreciate it. Lastly, special thanks to everybody in the U.S. and around the world. Stay safe. Have a great week, man. God bless you all. Hopefully, you all getting back on the baseball field. Adios, everybody. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at LineUpMedia.fm.